0: Turn in your copy of Scripture to Mark chapter 9. Now, we are looking at Jesus as the Lord of all, and Mark chapters 1 through 8 talk about Jesus primarily in terms of miracle worker and how that He has performed the miraculous and how He has done uh, great and mighty wonders like uh, healing the people who are paralyzed and giving them strength in their legs, uh, uh, taking blind people and making them see. uh, We saw in, in Mark chapter 4 where He made, the, uh, uh, made the, the, the storm to stop and to hush. And, and so we've been looking at Jesus as this great miracle worker. And, and that's the picture of him in Mark 1 through 8. Uh, but in chapter 8, things begin to change. And as Jesus begins to teach and talk to his disciples, immediately after healing the man at the pool of Beth Bethsaida, uh, he begins to teach them about about who he is. Y'all remember a couple of weeks ago we looked at it, Jesus, was, uh, Jesus and his followers were in Caesarea Philippi and they were walking through and uh, there were certainly idols to other gods and, and so Jesus asked his disciples, who do men say that I am? And uh, they said, well some people say that you're Elijah, some say that you're a good prophet and, and then Jesus asked the poignant question, but who do you say that I am? And he said, uh, and, and Peter responded, he said, well you're the Christ, the Son of the living God. And so Jesus affirmed that and said, yes, that's good, Peter, good job. And, and, uh, and then he began to teach them some other stuff. If you remember, Jesus didn't stop with just, hey, yes, I'm the, I'm the Son of God. He, he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things at the hands of the chief priests and the scribes and the Pharisees. He must be killed and then be raised from the dead three days later. Well, immediately the disciples say, whoa, 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 that's not, that's not what we signed up for. That's not really the, the price that, that we think you need to pay. In fact, Scripture says in Mark 8 that, that Peter actually rebuked Jesus, if you can believe it, and told Jesus to get his head on straight, that he was not the guy that was going to be suffering and dying. He's the miracle worker who's going to uh, set up his throne in, uh, in Jerusalem and be the king, right? Right. Um, and then you remember Jesus' response to Peter. What did he say? Get thee, beh- if, you're, uh, if you're in the original language, get thee behind me, Satan. That's not the original language. That was funny. Gary, did you get that? I thought that was funny. Uh, but uh, it, get, get behind me, Satan. And so Jesus was like, oh, no, 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 no. You got this all wrong. Then at the end of chapter 8, he began to teach about what it means to be a follower of Christ. And that's where we're going to pick up. He said... Uh, in Mark chapter 8, he said, If anyone desires to come after me, let him take up his cross, deny himself, take up his cross, and follow after me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels, that very same person will save it. Now, these are words that the disciples didn't want to hear. And for many of us, it's not the kind of words we want to hear either. See, one of the things that uh, you... What am I doing? Well, I, I'm going to get back to it in a second. But, but as we look at what it takes to build muscles, um, you've got to exercise. If you want to build muscles, you've got to exercise those muscles. And I've been exercising these muscles. Somebody asked me at the uh, 930 hour, how much do these weights weigh? And I said 150 pounds. <laughs> Not hardly. But as, as, you, as, you begin to, as you begin to exercise, you... You begin to work these muscles, and as you work these muscles, they begin to grow. And uh, they tear down, and they build back up, and they tear down, and they build back up. And that's wonderful, that's wonderful. And, and that's really what Jesus is saying. He's saying, hey listen, if you're going to be my follower, you have to go through the exercise of suffering and sacrifice. Suffering and sacri- sacrifice, that's, that's what it means to be a follower of Christ. But see, what we like to do, and this is what I've learned as I started working out again, when it gets real hard, I just put the weights down. <laughs> I just stop. I just stop because it gets too hard. the The pain, and there is pain. I, I was doing some exercise earlier this week, um, and and it was a new exercise for me, and it didn't involve weights. It was a push-up type thing, and man, I hurt my arm. I mean, I, I and I it wasn't like I damaged anything. It just ripped. I mean, just tore that muscle all the way down. And, and it was good because I knew that I was exercising a muscle that I had not exercised before. Uh, but boy, I was in pain. Edie was like, you're such a wimp. <laughs> anyway, so as we, as we look at what it means to be a follower of Christ, we're happy to go forward. You know, and we might even pick up the weights a little bit and do a few exercises. But the minute it gets too uncomfortable, we'll put the weights down. We'll stop the exercise. And Jesus didn't talk in terms of this partial commitment. He wasn't saying, it's okay to be partially committed to me. It's okay to follow me as long as it feels okay for you. No, he said, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow after me. Now, the disciples heard that language in the most literal terms. Anytime you use cross, back in the first century, you were thinking... Death, painful, cruel death. You weren't thinking cross as a metaphor for mother-in-law. <laughs> you weren't thinking about some little, some little thorn in your finger. When, when Jesus used the term cross, he was saying, you've got to be willing to die. The disciples heard that and they went, whoa! It's this looming doom on the horizon for them. You've got to let go the things that make you comfortable. let, Let go, sacrifice, suffer. Jesus said if you're going to follow me, then you have to be willing to give up your life for His sake and for the gospel's sake. You've got to push through the pain. And keep walking. As the disciples heard that, and as they heard Jesus say where he's going, he's going to be killed, suffering and sacrifice, and then they hear Jesus putting that same demands upon them. If you're going to be my follower, you've got to suffer, and you have to be willing to sacrifice. It's in that moment that they began to question, is this really for me? This morning as we come here today we we perhaps have that that looming sense of anxiety that they had yeah they had this sense of doom they had been investing their life into someone that's going to die and not only that but he's now telling them that they have to be willing to die and they're thinking to themselves oh my goodness if we keep on following we're going to suffer if we keep on following bad things are going to happen But at just the right time, as he did for his disciples, when we're overwhelmed by difficult seasons, God will inject in our lives great hope. And and that's what Mark chapter 9 is all about. And the Mount of Transfiguration, that's what it's all about. It's it's injecting hope in the hearts of his disciples in the midst of their difficult season. Uh, They're they're struggling with the idea that they're going to have to suffer and sacrifice. They had visions of sitting around the throne room of Jerusalem, being in charge of stuff. But Jesus reoriented their thinking, said, no, if you're going to be my follower, you're going to suffer and you're going to sacrifice. Can I talk to you just for a second? Just, just for a second. See, here's what gets me sometimes about myself and about our church. Not just this church, but the church, okay? But this church as well. We're happy to do things for Jesus that cost us nothing. And we're happy to pay prices that are minuscule in scope. But the minute the cause of Christ and the advancement of the gospel begins to infringe upon our comfort, we stop and we say, no more. We wonder why we're so filled with dread, lack of purpose? Why is it that we're so consumed with little petty things? It's because we're not full throttle in following Christ. Hey, can I just say this? Many of us approach following Christ the way a chicken approaches breakfast. When in fact, we should be more like the hog approaching breakfast. The chicken contributes to breakfast. The hog is breakfast. As followers of Christ, we, we like to contribute. But don't ask me to sacrifice more than one egg a day now jesus jesus says hey listen i need more from you than that get the picture he's saying i need more from you than that and so today, we, we, we come to the Mount of Transfiguration where, where God shows us how he is going to help us give Jesus more than just a simple, minuscule contribution. How that Jesus, how that he's going to help us have hope so that we press on, even in the face of suffering and sacrifice, difficult seasons, how we press on for the cause of Christ and for the sake of the gospel. So uh, as we we look at how God gives us hope, uh, we we turn to Mark chapter 9, verse 1. And and the disciples have just heard Jesus say, here's what it's going to take from you. You, It's going to take you giving your life. And verse 38, he says, says, don't be ashamed of me. Don't be ashamed of me here on this earth. Don't don't quit. Don't be ashamed. Pay the price. Now, verse 38. One of chapter 9, Jesus said to them, Assuredly, I say to you that there are some standing here who will not taste death till they see the kingdom of God present with power. So, so Jesus, Jesus moves from this, this uh, word of, this is going to be tough, to a promise that they can cling to. And, and if we're going to have hope in the midst of difficult seasons as we seek to fulfill God's mission, then we must cling to God's promise. We need to cling to this promise that Jesus offers us in verse 1. Now, the promise was to some who were standing around him. That's some of the 12. And, and he said, now some of you are going to see the kingdom of God coming with power. Now, scholars and theologians and preacher types, they've debated what in the world he's talking about. But I take it most naturally, as it flows through the text, to see the kingdom come in his power, for some of them to see that kingdom. He's talking about the transfiguration that's about to happen. He's saying, you're going to see what God's kingdom and the power of God's kingdom is all about. I'm going to give you a glimpse, Jesus says. I'm going to give you a glimpse of what God is all about. And who I am and how that can change your life. So the promise was, you're going to see some power unfold. Now, the reason I think it's the transfiguration, some people think it's the resurrection. And I say, yes, it is. And, and, and then some people say, well, it's, it's uh, uh, the coming of the Spirit of uh, the Holy Spirit at Pentecost?" I said, yes, absolutely it is. And then some will point down the road and they'll say, well, it's the second coming of Christ. I say, absolutely it is. See, when Jesus was talking to the psalm, it, it wasn't all the twelve, so it, it had to be you know, the twelve minus some of them, right? And, and when He says, you're going to see the kingdom of God come in His power, it, it, The transfiguration happened six days later with Peter, James, and John looking on. So that's the psalm. But the transfiguration is where God peels back heaven a little bit. And he peels the scales from our eyes just a moment. So that the disciples can see Jesus for who he is in all of his glory. Unveiled. They see it at the Mount of Transfiguration, but the Mount of Transfiguration is just a foretaste of what what the power of God is going to look like at the resurrection. Jesus is killed. He's buried. Three days later, God rolls away the stone. Jesus is raised from the dead. That's his power. But the resurrection is just a foretaste of uh, 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 of the second coming of Christ. And the second coming of Christ is just the inauguration of God's kingdom power come alive in us for eternity. So the transfiguration is just this moment in eternity where we get to look on what heaven looks like and who Jesus is in the midst of it. Now, what does that have to do with our everyday life? How does that that give us hope today? Well, here's the deal. You and I want to be faithful to Christ. I really believe that. I believe as followers of Christ, we want to do what it takes to be a faithful follower. We want to live the mission for God's glory. We want to pay some prices to do that very thing. I look at, at, at our friends and our partner church in, in downtown Norfolk, Mosaic Church, and how each week, and they're meeting right now, and, and they're meeting among people that, that, that are tough to reach, but they're paying prices every week, and some of them are giving so many hours a week, and, and, and they need all the help that they can get, but they're paying the prices. They want to be found faithful. They want to sacrifice, even suffer in moments. And as they pay those prices, there are those moments where they say, you know, this price seems to be a little high. It's, it's It's just too much work. It's too much effort. It's too much time. I don't know if I can do this anymore. And at just the right time, God comes through. And he peels back the clouds with a promise. And he says, look for the power that I'm going to provide. See today you and I we seek to be found faithful We want to do what God wants us to do and like the disciples we're walking along We've just heard if I'm going to be a faithful follower of Christ I've got to suffer and I've got to sacrifice. I've got to give my life. I can't be like a chicken I've got to be like a hog. I've got to go all in. I've got to be whole hog full throttle And we look at that and we we say but can I do that? I don't like suffering who here likes to suffer? I don't. You know what happens? The minute, the mi- we're happy to suffer until it gets uncomfortable. Isn't that really where suffering starts is when it gets uncomfortable? The minute it gets uncomfortable, we say, whoa, 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 I didn't sign up for this. But if we'll press on, if we'll push through the pain, then we can count on the promise that God will provide the power that we need at just the right time, he'll peel back the dark gray skies and he'll pierce into the depths of our soul and warm our hearts and give us hope through the person of Jesus Christ. You see, if we're going to experience the power of this promise, then we need to set our gaze upon Jesus Christ because he is the fulfillment of that promise. The disciples, the disciples heard Jesus say, some of you are going to see the kingdom of God come full in its power. And then verse 2, it says six days later. So they walked around for six days, in this, in, heaped up in this despair. Oh, woe is me. Am I really, should I really keep on following Jesus? This is going to be so tough. Now look at verse 2. Now six days later, Jesus took Peter, James, and John and led them up high on a mountain apart by themselves. And he was transfigured. Before them, his clothes became shining, exceedingly white like snow, such as the launder on, no launder on earth can whiten them. Don't you love that? I mean, I just love that picture. So Jesus is transfigured. The term for transfigured is metamorphosis. Transformed, changed. He wasn't changed on the inside. Uh, it's just his outward appearance that was changed. Why? Because Jesus always possessed the glory. He just began to show it out for that moment in time. It was as if God took the the deity of Christ and made that that big and took the humanity of Christ and put it kind of in the background. Up to that point, the humanity of Christ was in the forefront and the the deity of Christ was in the background. But at the Mount of Transfiguration, he took that that deity, the glory of God himself, and, and and he burst it forth upon the scene. Perhaps that's what John the Apostle was thinking when he wrote John 1, 14. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory. The glory of the only begotten fo- from the Father, full of grace and truth. And Jesus, Jesus, Jesus revealed Himself for that moment in time in all of His glory. So he was changed, and, and, and he, he, was, he was standing in, in brilliant white, so brilliant that, that John Mark says, and there is not a launderer on the whole planet Earth who could ever get clothes as white as those clothes were. I love that. Uh, just seems so real, all right, which it is. All right, verse, verse 4, and Elijah appeared to them with Moses, and they were talking with Jesus. And then Peter, and a- Elijah and Moses, what's the big deal about Elijah, Elijah and Moses being there? Well, Elijah and Moses were heroes. Moses was the lawgiver. He was the Exodus leader. He was the hero of the faith. Moses, big dog in the Old Testament. Elijah, big dog in the Old Testament. Prophet among prophets. Elijah and Moses standing there on the top of the mountain. Elijah, also a picture of the forerunner of the Messiah. Elijah would come, or one like Elijah would come, and make straight the way of the Lord. Remember that? And so so there's Elijah, and there's that that significance. But but Moses is hero, Elijah is hero, but Jesus outshines them both. See, the point of Moses and Elijah being there, they, they wanted to show the disciples Jesus is more important than we are. And Jesus is supreme above all. Focus on him, not on us. And he goes on, Verse 5, then Peter answered and said to Jesus, Rabbi, it's good for us to be here. And and, 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 so let us make three tents or tabernacles, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. Verse 6, I love verse 6. Because he did not know what to say. Don't you love it? He said that because he didn't know what to say and they were greatly afraid. You know, many people, when they don't know what to say, say nothing at all. Not Peter. Not me, right? He didn't know what to say, so he just said, "Let's build. Let's build something," right? And and he had the right idea. You see, uh, regardless of how you take the idea of building three booths, um, I think he was uh, thinking about the the feast of the tabernacles. Uh, and, and, or the Feast of Booths. And, and the Feast of Booths was a celebration that took place prior to the Day of Atonement in, in ancient Israel. And, and so the Feast of Booths was kind of the precursor for that glorious day, the great turnaround day, the day, the day of all days, the Day of Atonement and Passover and and victory, and, and so, so as, as Peter's there, he sees all this unfold. Jesus, in all of his glory, he's got his gaze upon Jesus. And he says, hey, let's, let's build the boots so we can celebrate the inbreaking breaking of God's rescuing love. Everything's going to turn around. Let's celebrate. Now, he had the right thought. He just had the wrong time. Right thought, wrong time. Jesus is there. And he is the one who brings... A great turnaround in your life and mine but he had to die first and be raised from the dead before that would happen and we're here today, and, and Peter got it right. He was focused on Jesus, and, 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 and the disciples were there, and they couldn't keep their eyes off Jesus. And a second, a great cloud comes, said, this is my beloved son, hear him. And, and then Moses and, and Elijah disappear, and there's just Jesus. And, and so Jesus is the centerpiece of all the transfiguration. And, and the whole moment is about Jesus, and, 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 and it, 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 is, it is a revelation Of who Jesus is that he's walking the path that God has affirmed that Jesus is the supreme king of all the universe the Lord of all and if we will follow him I mean literally follow him if we'll keep our gaze upon him And set our focus on him throughout the day, in the day, during the day, through the good times and the bad times. If we'll set our gaze upon him, then the writer of Hebrews says we will run with endurance the race that's set before us. If we will set our focus upon Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross despising its shame and is now sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. If we will focus on him, if we will set our gaze upon him, if we will follow after him, then we will do what God wants and we will be found faithful. We we will press on. But again, what we do is we get to that point where it gets tough and we stop. If we'll set our gaze upon Jesus, then we won't stop. We'll just keep walking as he kept walking. And we will fulfill the mission that he's given us to fulfill. We set our gaze upon Jesus, which means we also follow his instructions. This is verses 7 and 8. A cloud surrounded the disciples and then a voice came out of heaven. This is my beloved son. Hear him. I love the term hear in the Hebrew and the Greek uh, language. Greek is New Testament. Hebrew is Old Testament. But, but the, the word for hear in the Hebrew and Greek is more than just listen to sounds. It's more than just listening to words. To hear in the, in, in, in the Hebrew and to hear in the Greek is... To listen to the words and do them it, it's it's to hear it comprehend it and then apply it and God was saying God's the voice in the cloud that's speaking God was saying to the disciples this is Jesus set your gaze upon him then follow the instructions that he gives When, when I exercise, and, and, and uh, you know, it's wonderful nowadays uh, because you have all these different little apps on iPads and, and uh, you know, Internet teaching, you know, you got little, little video things, but there's nothing, nothing, nothing like someone who knows how to do an exercise who can walk you through that exercise personally, who, who will correct you when you do it wrong, who will actually tell you uh, you can do more. Don't, don't stop there. You just keep on, keep on, keep on, keep on. Don't stop, don't stop, don't stop. It's it's wonderful to have somebody with skin on who will instruct you so that you can keep on exercising, keep on exercising, keep on exercising so that you can press on, press through, so that you can fulfill that which God has rescued you to do. It's awesome that we have that person in our lives, and his name is Jesus. And he speaks to us through his word. You remember the Great Commission, the last words that Jesus gave while he was walking this earth? Matthew chapter 28, he said, All authority has been given to me in heaven and earth. Therefore, as you go, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all the things that I've told you. Behold, I'm with you even to the end of the age. Today, what we need to do is we need to stop listening to all the voices inside our head, all the voices surrounding us, and we need to start listening to Jesus. We need to start living our life based upon what he teaches, not what we feel. You know, Jeremiah tells us about the heart. He says, the, and I think it's uh, verse seven, uh, Jeremiah 17, 6 or 19, 7, somewhere in there. I'm sorry. Uh, The heart is deceitful above all things who can know it, and yet we try to build a whole life on what we feel. I can tell you, long ago, I would stop exercising if I just tried to do it based upon "Ah!" what I felt. When When the cost is high for us following Jesus, if we go by what we feel, we'll stop but if we follow Christ's instructions, we'll press on. I love, really, a summary of Christ's instructions and what he said about it in Matthew 7. He said, "He said, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I'll compare him to a wise man who built his house on a rock. And the rains came and the floods rose, but the house stood because it was built upon the solid foundation of the rock. And You see, that's the kind of life we want. That's what it means to be a follower of Christ. If we'll follow his instructions, then we will have a solid life filled with purpose and satisfaction. We will press through with hope. Understanding that Jesus is going to navigate the stormy seas and seasons of our soul and lead us safely to our destination. But we've got to follow his instructions. Here, this is my beloved son, God said. Hear him. And then verses 9 through 13, don't have time to deal with all of it. There's a lot there, but I want us to focus in on verse 9 for a second. They're coming down from the mountain, and Jesus said to them, Don't say anything to anybody else about what you just saw till the Son of Man has been raised from the dead. Now, here's what I want you to see. Jesus was certain he was going to die. But he was just as certain that he was going to be raised from the dead. And like Jesus, we need to trust in the victory that will come. See, as we seek to follow Christ, we're following him whole hog. And as he trusted in the victory that God was going to bring, we too must trust in that victory. A victory that only God can provide. Look, I've got to tell you, there are a lot of things that I can do, and many of them, or some of them, maybe a few of them, are pretty good. But I don't want a life defined by just the things that I can do, just the victories that I can win. I want a life defined by what only God can do and the victories that only God can win. You see, many of us need to have a new perspective, a resurrection perspective. I, can't, I know I'm an optimist. I, I, I know that. And I'm not a pessimist. And there's not a pessimistic bone in my body. I'm not even a cynic, even though there are certain things that make me cynical at times. I'm not a cynic. I really have a good view on life. I mean, a positive. It's a positive. I put a positive spin on everything. You kick me in the shin, I think you're just playing a game. <laughs> I, I'm not kidding. I would. You call me a dirty name. And most of the time, I'll I'll laugh. You telling a joke? What are you joking about? You know, that's just the way I am. But I think part of it is because I know that the cross is not the final say; the resurrection is. See, see, part of our perspective needs to be transformed like Jesus' was about the resurrection. He said, I'm going pr- to press on through the suffering and the sacrifice because God is going to provide the victory at the end. And you and I, as followers of Christ, we need to press on through to the end, seeing that God will bring the victory. God wins, and he gives his win to us, and we need to start living like it. Stop living this defeated life Filled with despair, we are a people of an empty tomb. We need to live like it. We need to start living each day. But see, it's not just for our own benefit. It's not just so we can be happy. It's so that we might fulfill the calling that God has given us and live sent lives, sent by Christ into a world filled with darkness, sharing the good news of Jesus. So the question comes back to us, Will we trust that victory so that we might live in a courageous hope, pressing on in the the face of even insurmountable odds, knowing that we are walking according to the plan and the path that Jesus has set. Following after him, setting our focus upon him, not turning to the right or to the left, just walking in the steps of Jesus, clinging to the promise that God will provide. Here's the thing. I, now, as I've exercised more, especially doing different types of exercises, um, what happens is I'll do an exercise, like these are just curls, and, and there's no big deal about these. I mean, it's kind of simple. You're supposed to have full extension and come up, you know, full extension, come up. And, and what I discovered, though, is when I'm doing an exercise that I don't particularly like to do or I get to a point where it gets really hurtful, I'll cheat. I do pull-ups and uh, pull-ups you can cheat really well I'll do like a dozen straight you know not cheating and then it gets really painful so then I'll start doing leg kicks which helps me do you know a lot more Uh, but but in curls you know you start cheating and so you (laughs) now if you're cheating it really doesn't count if you do a hundred of these Right? I mean, that, that just doesn't, it just, it's not the same thing. It's better to do 10 solid than, you know, do 100 cheating. But what happens is your pride gets in the way, you don't want to hurt anymore and you want to brag a little bit and say, well, I did 100 curls, you know, but you're cheating. You know what we do as followers of Christ? We start cheating. Well, We, we don't pay the price. We just pretend like we're paying the price. We come here on Sundays and we look good. We even talk good language. But we're just really just kinda playing a game. We're cheating. Guys, we run with endurance, the race that's been set before us, not by playing a game, trying to fool others, not by cheating. Don't rob yourself of the victory that God alone longs to provide because you're not willing to press on through the sacrifice and the suffering. Jesus pressed on, and he was exalted to the right hand of the throne of God. And when we press on, God gives us the victory and he gives us the reward. The way we have the bright rays of hope piercing into the darkness of our despair is when we see Jesus for who he is. We gaze upon him, we follow his instructions. And we take each step trusting in the victory that God will provide. Don't cheat. Press on.